Do you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 6? That's where we are. That's where we have been. Uh, we've been in Luke chapter 6 for a long time. These are familiar words today. So, um, and probably words that, you know, it, the discussions that I've been in in my adult life with other adults about scriptural things have mostly been about what does it mean to judge people and not judge people. This is something I think we all wrestle with a little bit. We're all trying to figure out. But first, I would like to tell you what a great conversation I had in Boys Bible on Friday. I don't know if I've mentioned, but I teach a couple classes over at Trinity uh, Christian High School, and I love it. It's, uh, it's the funnest thing. And we had a discussion about the summer reading. Now, summer reading is a lame pull anyway, right? Yes, summer, read this book. That's a bummer for any kid. And so first of all, I was thrilled that most of the students read the summer reading. They actually were engaged and were able to talk about it. That was great. But the, the book I had them read is this, this little book called The Hour That Changes the World. Are you familiar with this? It's about praying and it like teaches you to pray for an hour. And if you would uh, tell most 16-year-olds, hey, your life would be much better if you prayed for an hour every day. Most 16-year-olds would just go, you have got to be kidding. There is no way. In fact, probably most of us in this room, we hear like Martin Luther said, I pray for an hour a day every morning, and, but right now I'm extra busy, and so I'll have to pray for two hours a day, right? And we go, holy smoke, I couldn't possibly, what are they talking about? Pray for an hour a day. I can't even be in a conversation for more than about 15 minutes before my mind squirreling away. So what is going on? It, it leaves you overwhelmed and, and you think, how on earth could I ever do that? But this little book is so instructive. It breaks the hour into five minute sections and says, so five minutes of praise and five minutes of watching and five minutes of petition and five minutes of whatever. I can't remember. I made them write about it. I didn't write about it. But, um, but, but it's such a, it's such a, and, and I, I tell you all that to say, something that was completely intimidating and that no 16-year-old dude would go, that would come easy to me. After a little discipling, after they were given a way, a path, here's how that would look. I don't know that they're ready to pray for an hour every morning. They probably wake up 15 minutes before school starts. But this deep prayer went from overwhelming and super difficult to joyful. It was a good conversation. They really enjoyed it. I don't, know, I don't feel like a great teacher all that often, but on Friday, I was done going, we nailed it. That was great. They have tools that they're going to be able to use in their prayer life. I tell you that story because that's kind of where we are. Some of you might be feeling that if you're paying attention to where we've been in Luke 6. After last week, you might have that same kind of overwhelmed, how could I possibly do this sort of feeling. You remember where we've been in Luke 6. First, there was this list of blessings and woes. And it was, blessed are you if you are poor and empty and mourning and people talk bad about you. And woe to you if you are full and people speak good of you. And if you have all that you need. And you might look at that and go, I kind of look more like the woe list than I look like the blessed list. Well, what am I supposed to do with this? And then in this Jesus great sermon, the first bit of instruction that we talked about last week was, look, here's how you be in the kingdom of God. You selflessly choose to love those that drive you nuts. You bless those 
that you feel uh, disrespect you all the time. The people that talk badly to you, you talk great back to them. Um, people that you feel like are out for not your good, but they're out to make your life harder. And what you do is you do everything you can to make their life full of beauty. And not only that, but, um, but if anybody is really mistreating you, well, then how you respond to that is just by praying like crazy for their advantage in life. And I imagine either we take that kind of instruction and we go, hmm, no, I'm going to nod my head in church, but I'm just going to go do my own thing because there's no way that can be lived out. Or you go, how on earth would I possibly live like that? It sounds impossible and it doesn't even sound particularly fair. Like, are you serious? How on earth do we do that? And while we're at it, you might even ask yourself like, why would I do that, right? Like, okay, Jesus, great. So you want me to lose most of the time. Thank you very much. Why on earth would I do that? And the answer was there. We talked about it last week. The answer of why is, well, because it demonstrates your kinship with God. You're acting like a son and daughter of God when you act this way. And also there is great reward, both now in spiritual uh, sense of you know, shalom and fullness. You're, you're going to experience love and joy and peace. But also there really is something after the grave. And if you would not live in light of the grave, but would live in light of eternity, you would come to find that this is the best way to live. And yet still, as we are told, the depths of self-denial. As Jesus says, die to yourself and follow me. And we really start to dive into that means the people who are the most wrong, instead of you giving them a piece of your mind, you pray for their benefit and do good things in their life. You go, gosh, that is so the opposite of everything. Even the Christians in my life haven't acted that way. This is so contrary to everything I know you might think, you know, I still have a couple of follow-up questions. Like, are you kidding? And please, can we think of some example where I don't actually have to live this way? How are we supposed to do this? Well, then we come to this section that Susan just read us today. Verses 37 through 45 our King Jesus is continuing to lay out the path for us to walk. This is sort of him taking us from the what to the how. And maybe even by the end, I'm going to ask you why. So he's told us the what. Bless, do good, pray for their advantage. That's what you do in the kingdom of God. And now, obviously, you can't do that. You've been living differently than that for 48 years, and you go, how on earth would we do that? So now Jesus is going to, as a good teacher, he's going to say, here's how you do that. Here's what it looks like in your life. He didn't drop the mic, turn away, and go get wrecked, live like that. That's not what he did. But rather he said, while I have you, that's the standard in the kingdom of God. Here's how you go about it. Here's how your attitudes change. Here's how your perspective on life changes so that you be a person who blesses instead of curses, so that you be a person that does good instead of undermining people, so that you be a kind of person that is the kind of person you're going to be for eternity in the kingdom of God. And this is sort of a curious passage um, that we're looking at today. It begins with, don't judge. And by the end, we are given tools to evaluate ourselves and everyone else around us. This is a passage that is really about how we view people. 
Or maybe a better way to say it is this is a passage about how we value people. How we decide who is worthy of our ire and anger and who is worthy of our blessing, good doing, and loving prayer. You know, obviously, we're learning what it's like to relate to each other in the kingdom of God. And of course, that has to do with love. If you would, just take a little side uh, tour with me and let's remember what 1 John 4 says. Do you remember 1 John 4? Bible's flipping here. Apps, something. No? Okay, well, then I'll read it to you. All right, bring your Bible. It's a Bible study. Um, there's a Bible in front of you. Let's not overthink this. Let's just read it. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, that means, hey, people who are loved, let us love one another. Agape, not let us feel warm fuzzies about each other, but let us make a choice every day to bless, to pray, to do good in each other's lives. For love is from God. When you're acting like that, you're acting like the character of God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It's really hard to do this long term. It's hard to be this kind of person unless you first have received this kind of love. It means you know what it's like to have a relationship with God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is the love of God. Uh, what, oh, and, and I'm sorry, I've been reading for a while. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So how do we do this? We are living through him. God loved you so much that he sent his son. Are you willing to send your son um, so that other people might be saved? I would have a very hard time with that. But God willingly sent his son because of his agape, selfless love, made a decision that he would save us and has called us to live like that through his son. In uh, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in, in us and his love is perfected in us. No one's ever seen God, but if they see a healthy church, they're getting pretty close to knowing what God's like. So how do we do it? This is the aspirational goal of our lives, that we would reflect the love of God to the world. That is not the goal for almost anybody else in your life for you. Everybody else in your life wants you to be successful so that they can have some success or they want to be proud of you or they want you to serve them in some way. And yet this totally radical idea comes in. You know what it's like to be in the kingdom of God is to make these decisions every day through Christ to reflect the selfless love that God has given us. So what are the first steps there? How do I change my perspective where I'm not like my perspective is still self and look out for number one and all that stuff, but I'm having to like tweak myself every day to discipline myself to, to act against my self-interest and self-nature. Because let me tell you, if you're trying to do that, it's not gonna work. People kind of do what they believe is in their self-interest. So we have to get to the point where we go, it is in my self-interest to live this way. There is great reward. And there is the way to peace and love in this life is to reflect God's love to the world instead of winning, 
Instead of looking out for number one, instead of making sure I'm full and wealthy and uh, people speak well of me, to instead reflect God's love to the world. So four um, instructional pieces to Jesus' teaching here. First of all, if we're going to change our perspective and become that kind of person, we have to love by giving up on being the judge. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Let's talk about judging. Now, obviously, Jesus is not talking about a lack of wisdom. He's not talking about purposefully putting yourself in dangerous situations. But again, like we talked last week, let's not let ourselves off the hook. Let's not worry about what Jesus isn't teaching us. Let's try to hone in on what Jesus is teaching us. Paul even says that the works of the flesh are evident. We should not, judging, not judging, uh, according to Luke 6, is not losing the ability to evaluate the world. Rather, Christians should be the ones who are best at the, uh, at the ability to know whether or not something lines up with biblical truth, with the heart of God. Paul says the works of the flesh are evident. Maybe when you were first a believer, they weren't evident. It was hard to tell the difference between what God wanted and what you wanted. But the more you grow and mature in Christ, the more you go, I can tell if something's close to God's heart and not. So this is not what Jesus is talking about. But there is a difference between knowing when sin is sin and judging a person. Can I say that again? There's a difference between being able to recognize sin, knowing when something's right or wrong, and judging a person. And when I talk about a person, I am not talking about their actions. I'm not even talking about their bodies. I mean the true person. All right, pretend we're in a dorm room. It's two in the morning. We're breaking down everything philosophically. You know what I'm talking about? We're just having one of those like midnight conversations. What does it mean to be a person? Well, we can kind of talk about what it doesn't mean more easily. It's true that we're integrated beings. I am mind, body, and spirit. But certainly the part that gives us our value, the part of me that is really me is non-corporal. Are you with me? I think I can prove that. If I lose my arm in a tragic disc golfing accident later this afternoon, you won't... I, I try to throw it pretty hard. That could... That could happen. Um, you wouldn't see me next time and go, here comes most of Grant. <laughs> right? You would say, here comes Grant. Because you know that the thing that is the essence of Grantness <laughs> is not corporal. It's not my body. Also, if I was to have a brain injury, if I was to lose some part of my personality in some, some way, if I was uh, gonna, if, I, if I was having a bad memory day, which happens, you also would not say, oh, that's less Grant. So when we're talking about who I am, who you are, who your neighbor is as a person, we're not talking primarily about their behavior. We're not talking primarily about their physical body. We're not even primarily talking about their brain and the decisions they make. We are talking about, you're getting close to it if you use the word spirit. 
maybe soul. So while it's true that my body is wearing out, my brain has good days and bad days, that my decisions and actions are sometimes righteous and sometimes ridiculously sinful, those are not the things that define who I am. Are you with me? And is there an amen? Like, do we want to live in the world? This is the way the world treats people. You kind of are what you've done. You are what you can produce. You are what you look like. This is how you are defined. The biblical view is, man, that, those might be some things that describe you, but those are not things that define you. That's not the real you. And I think it's almost self-evident to understand that about ourselves. But what Jesus is calling us to is a world where that's how we view others as well. There's a real jerk lives down the street, but he's not defined by his jerkiness. Right? I don't have a real jerk that lives down the street. Everybody on my street's pretty cool. Um, he's not defined by the things he's done or his harsh words to me. I shouldn't respond to him based on that. Instead, I should respond to him based on the true him who is deeply loved by God. So not only that, we remember that you don't have to love anybody that God doesn't love. That's a deal. I'll make you that deal, okay? Anybody that God doesn't love, you don't have to love either. Um, in fact, you're allowed to hate everybody God hates. That's okay. But God's grace falls on the wicked and the just. We read last week that God is kind to the evil. We couldn't possibly do that, evaluating people on what they've done, evaluating, evaluating people on what they look like, evaluating people on what group or whatever they identify with. We can only have that affirming the person kind of attitude if we look and say, Jesus is calling us into a kingdom where you are not judged by these things and you do not judge by these things. But rather, we see people as image bearers of God who, Christ, who God so loved that he sent his one and only son that they might be invited into the kingdom of God. So again, there's a difference between knowing when sin is sin and judging a person. Still, still kind of heady, but I think I can help, uh, help you understand this a couple of different ways. First of all, um, you love people who do bad things all the time. I bet you already know what this means to not judge somebody as a person and still be able to evaluate people's actions. Do you have children, any of you? Okay, have you ever met children? Do you know the general concept that sometimes they're little sinners? Are you familiar with this concept? Um, so when you have a child in your life that you love, you absolutely are able to notice when they are outside of God's will and your will. It was not God's will that you punched your brother in the face. I just know it. It says somewhere in the Bible, I'm sure. And yet, you do not look at that child and go, and that means you're not lovable. And that means I'm not going to care for you. In fact, 
to a loving parent, the more our kids mess up, the more we kind of are pulling for them. Like your heart goes out to them in a way that you go, I'm going to do everything I can to help them become the person that I know they want to be, or that at least that I want them to be. Because while I recognize their flaws, man, I love them. And I'm going to work hard to do everything I can pray for their advantage and make their life as beautiful as I can and love them selflessly. Why? They let you down all the time. But because you do not evaluate them simply by their decisions, by what they look like, by what they've done, but rather you say, Dad, despite all of that, man, I love this person. If you have a best friend that's made a mistake, I bet you you defend them to everybody. I bet you don't throw your best friend under the bus and be like, right, that jerk, but rather you go, look, 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 I know. What they did was bad. They shouldn't have said that. It's, it's wrong to slash your tires. It's an, indefensible, it's an indefensible thing that they did. But I know their heart. I know the real them. And that wasn't the real them. Would you give them another chance? Why? Because you affirm them as a person. You recognize your love for them and you recognize God's love for them. The teaching, judge not, is extend that to every human. That we would not evaluate, view, judge people based on their worst mistake or their best decision. But rather, we would see them as incredibly loved by the Father, served by the Son, and as image bearers of God. So Jesus is calling us to extend that kind of agape love where I'm willing to sacrifice for you, to bless you, to say good things to you. Man, talk about blessing people that curse you. That's what it's like raising a toddler, right? We had one kid who used to go, you're a bad mommy. (laughs) Tiffany is not a bad mommy. No, she's a fantastic mommy. Uh, No, not that one. But she didn't fire back. Yeah, well, you're a bad little kid. (laughs) But rather, love the person. I hear the phrase... uh, Hate the sin, but love the sinner. And I hear the tone of voice that comes with it sometimes. And I see the eye roll that comes with it sometimes. And I think what you mean is understand the sinful acts of people, um, but give up on the person. But don't spend time with the person, but ignore the person. That's not the call. Jesus says, Love means giving up being the judge. It doesn't mean you don't know when people are wrong, and we'll get to that in a second, but to give up being the judge. Let me, let me just, uh, a couple of examples, because Jesus not only taught this, he lived it. Do you remember the thief on the cross? The thief on the cross has the lamest prayer of salvation of all time. Just absolutely atrocious. If I was sitting down with a 15-year-old, I would not say, you know, just when you're, in, when you're in detention, just be like, Jesus, can I come over? Like that's, that was basically the prayer of salvation for the thief on the cross. Had done nothing, 
to demonstrate his love for God except just the simple cry of faith, Jesus, would you remember me when you get to your kingdom? And Jesus looking at him and not going, I don't know, man, you're here for a reason. Like there's a reason those nails are in your hand. Not only that, I'm here and I'm righteous. Why would you and I end up in the same place? Why would I want good things for you? I know, but rather Jesus just says, yeah, absolutely. Do you remember the woman at the well? Does Jesus know the woman at the well? Does he know her, her sinful life? Not only that, does she know the sinful culture that she was in? Of course. Go get your husband. I don't have a husband. I, I know. Did that woman walk away feeling judged? Or rather, being invited, hey, you know what? If you would just believe in, in me, there'd be living water bubbling up from inside you. Jesus does not treat her according to her behavior or according to who she is as a Samaritan, but rather according to God's love for her. Who's the woman at the well in your life? Who's the thief on the cross in your life? Man, think of Peter, who denies Jesus three times. So mad at himself, he just goes back to fishing, right? Just like even knows that Jesus rose from the dead, but doesn't know what else to do, so he just goes back fishing. Three denials, Jesus gives him a chance to reverse that three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus, there is no time where Jesus sets Peter down. At least we have no recorded time where Jesus sets Peter down and goes, remember what you did to me? You have to first pay for your denial. I heard you deny me. I heard people, I heard you say curse words so people would believe that you don't know me. Instead, Jesus just goes, do you want back in the family? Judge not. You will not be judged. So how do we bless? How do we do good? How do we pray for the benefit of even our enemy? Well, Jesus is making it pretty clear that we exchange judgment for generosity. Instead of treating people because of their, their worst human traits, Instead, we treat them with the generosity that we would if we really saw them as God sees them. We trade condemnation for forgiveness. But there's more. If we forgive, we find ourselves forgiven. We talked about this last week, but this is not reciprocity. This is not Jesus saying, I have a checklist, and if you forgive everybody, then I will also forgive you. Rather, this is an invitation into a brand new kingdom with a brand new way of doing things. You can imagine going to Narnia with a pile of $100 bills and just showing up at a shop and them going, we, that's not our economy. We, you can't spend that here. That's not worth anything and nobody owes you any of that. This is what it's like in the kingdom of God, a brand new economy 
where you are forgiven by the blood of the cross and they are forgiven in the blood of the cross and you are welcome to come and live in this kingdom where we are loved as created by God and image bearers of God and and loved by God to the point of sending his son to die for you. Or you cannot live like that. But you can't live with one foot in both. You can't go, I want to receive forgiveness. I'm so glad Jesus doesn't judge me based on my worst day. But this guy next door, he's a real dirtbag. You're in or you're out. Are you in the economy of the kingdom of God where we just love? People haven't earned it. God has just commanded it. Jesus is offering a kingdom where people aren't valued by what they produce. They aren't valued by their limitations. They aren't valued by their mistakes, but rather by their position as created by God and loved by God. And you might go, well, what about sin? Am I just supposed to ignore things that people do? Am I just supposed to ignore that I have been sinned against? Man, people have done bad things. And you go, no, Jesus died on the cross for that. Sin, the price of sin has been paid. In the kingdom of God, we don't say there's no such thing as sin. None of it matters. We go, oh no, sin is so profound that the price has already been paid by the Son of God himself. So there's the, I don't know if you call it a catch, but there's the deal. Are you in or are you out? If you want to hold on to bitterness, if you want people who have sinned against you, if you want people who don't think like you, if you want people on the internet who need to be told... The kingdom of God is just not for you. That's not the economy here. That's not the way things work. If you want, despite all of your flaws, to be welcomed into a loving relationship with God where forgiveness is there instead of condemnation, where generosity is there instead of judgment, you are welcome. But you can't bring that stuff in with you. How do you bless? How do you do good? How do you pray for people? Well, you give up on being their judge. The second kind of point of teaching is is you figure out who it is you're following. You you love people by following the loving master. There's this this section about what can a blind man lead a blind man. You you remember um, a few weeks ago in Luke, uh, Luke outlined the crowd that was gathered for this great sermon of Jesus and there are outcasts and there are people that are unclean at the feet of Jesus and there's folks from various parts of Israel. Some of the guys have made it up from Jerusalem and and from all over and there's even Gentiles from the outskirts over on the coast, right? There's, there's, There's all kinds of people but do you also remember that there are some of these Pharisees from the first part of Luke 6? These people who are experts in the law but they don't recognize Jesus to, the, to be the Messiah. They've been argumentative about the Sabbath. They, there's nothing they don't know about the Scriptures, but they, the, that knowledge of the Scriptures has not borne itself in a demonstration of love for people. Rather, they are the example of knowledge puffs up and love builds up. In fact, their, and I think this is important, their leadership is marked not by law, but by legalism. You know the difference. Paul would say, oh, the law is great. The law is good. 
by the law is how I knew how far away from God I am. The law is good. Legalism. Like anything that is good, if you worship it, it is bad. Are you with me? Your family's a great thing. Receive it as a gift. Don't worship it. The law is a great thing. Receive it as a gift. Don't worship it. And these are people who had gone from loving the law to worshiping the law. And it's hard to believe that these guys are not in view. As Jesus says, look, if you follow blind people, you'll fall in pits. Because the truth is, grace was never born out of legalism. There was never a church that was so legalistic that people felt super loved by God and understood what grace meant. But grace leads to law-keeping all the time. As we understand how much we are loved by God, as we understand the forgiveness of the cross, as we understand the grace of God, this is how we become better as people. So Jesus has these guys out of the corner of his eye, most probably. And he says, man, you follow some people and you're going to fall in a pit. We should be careful who we follow, who we worship, because following the Savior of grace totally results in in less sin. Following a legalistic religious structure does not end up in grace. Man, it's the most natural thing for people to lead other people. Don't follow anybody who's not pointing you to Christ. Christ and Christ alone. We have a good shepherd. His name's not Grant. His name's not your favorite author. His name's not the guy that, you, that podcast you really love. If anybody is not pointing you to Jesus, then they're blind and you're going to fall in a pit. Rather, the king of the kingdom of God is standing in front of these people and going, do you, do you want to know how to get better? You want to know how to bless instead of curse? You want to know how to do good instead of undermine? You want to know how to pray for people instead of um, praying against them? Man, just follow me. And all of the great leaders in the scriptures, that's how they they lived. John the Baptist walking around, huge following, walking around going, less of me, more of him. The apostle Paul, who wrote more books in your Bible than than, uh, than anyone else, over and over says, I don't, it's not even me that lives, but Christ that lives in me. There are leaders, religious and otherwise, who would really like for you to follow them. But you're never going to find the light following a blind guy. Rather, it is Christ and Christ alone who is the king of this kingdom. Don't follow anybody that's not pointing you to Christ. So in the kingdom of God, that means we don't follow the most educated or the most articulate, but rather we find people to follow who have learned how to love. Jesus says, you want to know how to bless? You want to know how to pray right? You want to know how to do good? Well, find the people who are doing that and follow them as they follow Christ.
Third, love by maturing to the point of usefulness. This whole section on um, that is, is supposed to be humorous. Like because it sounds, because you heard this either this is the first time you're hearing it or you heard it in Sunday school your whole life, it's hard to, the, the Bible needs a little asterisk, like you should be laughing here, right? We talked last week about, um, about Jesus uh, saying, hey, if somebody wants your cloak, give them your tunic as well. That would leave you naked in the town square. You know, that's funny. Laugh. Man, have some humor. Um, and this is the same thing, talking about like, hey, there's your brother's got a splinter, a speck in his eye, and here you are sitting here with a big long plank, and the, the word that they're using here is like a beam in a house, right? You couldn't possibly have this thing. It's a hilarious and ridiculous image, and Jesus wants you to have this hilarious and ridiculous image. I think, first of all, to be able to laugh at yourself. Yeah, we do this, all of us. And also to see how absolutely ridiculous it is that we would take our job as first and foremost fixing everybody else. And yet we live in a world that's like, man, that's your job is to go fix everybody. That's your job is just like, be sure nobody disagrees with you. But Jesus gives us this, like I say, this ridiculous, humorous analogy, but the point of it is not to not help people be better people, but rather to do the work so that you can be helpful as your brothers and sisters are trying to get the specks out of their eye. The truth is we need each other to remove specks. I've got specks in my eye. I have a really hard time seeing. I need somebody to help me get better. But you got to start with love. You got to start with affirming me as a person, right? You got to start by not saying, I'll only love you if you get better, but to say, hey, I love you so much. Do you need some help with this? And not only that, I need to see that you've done the work yourself. Don't offer to help me with something you have no idea how to do. You cannot impart what you do not possess. So there's a few questions here. Jesus says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? Why do you think? I think we see the speck in our brother's eye because we were looking for it. Because we woke up and went, look at these people. They are wrong in all kinds of ways. Somebody needs to tell them. Am I just going to let them sit there with a splinter in their eye? You know, it's just, it's very easy. If you are an expert in other people's sin... And that's the easiest thing in the whole world to do. You don't really even have to be a believer for that. We kind of all recognize dirtbag behavior when somebody else is doing it. We kind of all recognize when somebody else is wrong. Probably most of us are, if I was to ask you, hey, could you make me a list of the prominent sins of our culture? Could you make me, just thinking about your family and friends, could you give me a list of things that they need to work on? How much time would I have to give you? We'd be here all day. You're an expert in that, so am I. Then Jesus asks this next question. He says, okay, so why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? And then also, why did you not see the plank in your own eye? I think it's because we weren't looking for it. Because I didn't wake up going, God, if there is air in me, would you search me and know me? Lord, if I have been unloving, 
if I have not accurately reflected your love to the world, God, would you please help me to be the person that I want to be, that you want me to be? God, all I want to do is reflect your perfect love to the world and that your perfect love is just not where I am right now. I mean, I wonder if we spent most of our time doing that, if we wouldn't be a lot more helpful to the people around us. Then Jesus says, you know, why did you not notice the plank in your eye? And then how can you say, let me take that out of your eye? Man, that's a hard question, isn't it? Jesus says, okay, so why do you notice the speck in in, in other people's eyes? And why do you not notice the plank in your eye? And where do you get off going, hey, come here, let me take that out of your eye? Can I submit to you? that maybe it's because we feel like they need to be better before they are lovable. That they need to change before they are worthy of our love. Maybe even before they are worthy of God's love. One of the worst heresies in the world is that you get right and then come to Christ. You don't get right and come to Christ. You come to Christ broken, dirty, full of it, and you watch him change you. He wants you right now. Jesus said he did not come into the world but to judge, but to save, not to condemn, but to save the lost. How could we find our mission in anything else? Maybe it's because I'm so willing to go get specks out of other people's eyes, not only because I don't quite think they're ready to be loved until they're better, but really because I want them to make my life better. Let me come get that speck because if you sinned less, I'd be happier. And then Jesus just very clearly says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, And then you will see clearly to take the speck that's in your brother's eye. Make your focus being most like Jesus. You be the best, most loving, most connected to Jesus person you can possibly be. And I promise you'll have the opportunity to help other people. God will open up opportunities for you to help others all over the place. Man, if you make the goal of your life making other people sin less, you'll be almost useless. If you make the goal of your life to be as connected to Christ as you can be, watch how he uses you to be a blessing in other people's lives. Lastly, there's this bit about fruit trees. We can end here by talking about how each of us becomes an individual fruit-bearing tree And that that collectively, that makes us an orchard of fruit-bearing trees. But first, let me get you thinking about the right kind of fruit. And let's acknowledge that the fruit Jesus is talking about here brings us back to blessing people. It brings us back to speech. Did you you hear how after uh, a good person out of the treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the treasure of of his treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the particular, our mind very quickly goes to like Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Rather, Jesus has got his eye focused on particularly how you talk to people. 
and says, this is the truth. There are some trees that produce this life-giving fruit as they speak. There are some people that a conversation with them is just full of life. I, I have three kinds of trees in my house. I have a walnut tree. Actually, I have an apple tree that we've cut down like three times, and it just keeps growing. It's like a little apple bush. I'm not sure. You just can't kill an apple tree, I guess. But, um, but the, the three I want to tell you about is I have a walnut tree, and I have a lemon tree, and I have a couple of orange trees. Makes it sound like we have a much bigger place than we have. Um, but the walnut tree, let me tell you about that first. The walnut tree is actually a ficus tree. Um, I went out, our ficus tree gets like all bushy and out of control. About once a year, I got to go out and show it who's boss, you know, trim it up, make it look like a tree again. I always yell at it. I'm like, you're not being a tree. Boom, boom. Um, but as I was trimming it, I'm always like pulling. I have to wait till the fall. So all the bird nests are out of it and all that kind of stuff. And I'm trimming it a, a couple of weeks ago and there's a walnut sitting in it. Like, I don't know if a bird tried to drop it on the street and missed or what happened, but there is a walnut sitting in the middle of this ficus tree. This ficus is claiming to be a walnut tree. I've seen that. I've seen folks who would say, of course I'm a fruit-bearing tree. I go to church. You just dropped a walnut in a branch. So you're not bearing any fruit. Of course I'm a fruit-bearing tree because I told my neighbor who thinks wrong how wrong he is. I have a lemon tree. And when I say I have a lemon tree, I don't mean I have a lemons tree. Every year it grows one lemon. <laughs> it's in this really weird part of the yard. It's like it's hemmed in by the house on one side and a fence on another side and an overhanging balcony above it. How this thing's alive, I have no idea. But, and a couple of years ago, it grew two lemons. We were so disappointed. Like, no, you're the one lemon a, tr a year tree. We get a kick out of it. It's, it's a pretty little tree. It just doesn't bear much fruit. I've been that lemon tree before. Am I bearing fruit? Yeah. We have these orange trees that we've never watered. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. I don't trim them. Actually, the one, I trim one of them, but it's because it's blocking the way to get into the backyard. So I just take the clippers and go, okay, I'm six foot one and a half, six, two and a half. Boom, 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 boom. That's all we've ever done to it. And we just get oranges out of it all the time. It's a good tree. Come to Wednesday night. We'll have a conversation about what good fruit versus bad fruit, what that looks like. But I think the metaphor is pretty clear. People who are connected to Christ, living for him, produce the fruit of kindness in their words. It's coming out of them like crazy. And we might do well to go, am I a ficus tree posing as a fruit tree? Am I that sad little lemon tree every once in a while but not much or am i this out of control bearing fruit all the all over the place orange tree this is jesus saying if you want to do what we do in the kingdom of god you have to be like we are in the kingdom of god if you want to bless and do good 
and pray right for people, you have to have a heart that views people as beloved and act accordingly. So that's what and how. Uh, Let me ask you this. Why? This seems like a hard way to live. For those of us who've taken some steps down this, we go, this is the only way to live. This is where the good stuff is. But just to say it out loud, it sounds very difficult. So I don't really even want to answer this question for you because it doesn't matter what the pastor says about why you would live this way. The question is, what have you become convinced of? Has God loved you so much? Has God done enough? Has Christ done enough to warrant the kind of devotion that would cause you to give up on judgment, that would cause you to bear the fruit of kindness in your words, that would cause you to not follow blind leaders, but rather to with a laser vision follow Christ and Christ alone? Why would you live this way? Ben's going to sing another song. I'm going to pray for you. And why don't we leave here meditating on that? We know what it means to give up on judgment. We know what it means to follow Jesus and turn off all the other voices. We know what it means to speak kindly even when people don't deserve it. The question is, has God done enough for us to actually live that way?